Well, good morning. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to River of Life Church. Like the video said, uh, we are people that love to connect with one another. Um, and Dan's going to tell us more about it later. But we have an excellent opportunity for you to connect with uh, people here at the church all this week. Um, but, but wait for the announcement time and he'll uh, give you some more. Uh, aren't you grateful for our band? I know I am. Let's, let's give them a round of applause real quick. Because, man... Those, those guys are phenomenal. Um, if you don't, uh, if you're a visitor, don't know who I am. My name's Jeremy. I'm the worship pastor here, um, and I uh, usually am doing the music stuff. Uh, but this this uh, sermon series, we're taking uh, turns preaching, uh, me, Sean, and Dan. And so this week is, is my turn. Uh, but that group is so talented, I can uh, hand it over to them and, and don't even have to uh, lose sleep or anything over it. Uh, but today we're in our second part of uh, our Minor Prophet series. We're going to be in the book of Joel today. Uh, so if you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Joel. And I'm going to do my best to get through the, entire, the entirety of this book um, and give you a, a good overview of what it's about um, uh, because it is, uh, has a message that is uh, very relevant to us today um, and to everyone uh, throughout all time. Um, but to give you a little bit of background, Joel um, is, a, is a prophet, and like Sean said last week, the only difference between the minor prophets and the major prophets are the length of book that they wrote. Um, we don't know a whole lot about Joel, um, but he is the one who wrote this. It's, it's likely that he was ministering to um, Jerusalem at the time, and uh, we don't really know a time frame. Uh, there's uh, some debate as to whether it took place before or after the uh, destruction of the temple in, in Jerusalem. Uh, but I have chosen to side with John Calvin, uh, who says in so many words that we have no, no idea of knowing, and it really doesn't matter. Um, so that's what, that's what we're going to go with today. That it doesn't really matter, the time frame uh, specifically, but uh, that we hear what Joel is trying to um, explain to us. So before we jump in, let's pray, um, and then, then we'll uh, jump into this book. Lord, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be here this morning um, and get to hear from your word, to learn from your word, Lord. God, I pray that we would have open ears, uh, ready to receive uh, what you have to say to us today. God, I just pray this book um, and the prophet uh, Joel uh, and the message that he delivers would have a great impact on us today and be something that we uh, carry on with us uh, forward when we leave this place. God, we love you. Uh, we're so thankful to be here. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, uh, let's start in chapter 1. We're going to start with uh, verse 2. Verse 2, it says, Hear this, you elders, give ear. All inhabitants of the land, has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Number one this morning is that we need to uh, realize this is a message for everyone. Um, this isn't... Um, now, he's obviously teaching a specific group of people, but he wants everybody there um, to hear this message, to come. It doesn't matter age or, uh, or, or race or um, income or anything like that. This is for everybody of, of, uh, of that day. The role of a prophet in the Old Testament, there's a few differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Three major ones are uh, the Old Testament is always looking forward to a coming Messiah. The New Testament is always looking back on the Messiah that came. The second uh, big difference is that you have the Word of God is delivered differently then than it is today. And, and we are in the New Testament church today. In the Old Testament, you had prophets who uh, God would speak to and then they would go and deliver God's Word. Today, we have God's Word in print form in the Bible, and that's how God speaks to us today. 
the other is uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but for a moment, I just want to focus on uh, God's Word. And, and Joel is saying, I have God's Word, and it's for everyone. Everybody, get together, let's listen. Um, so that's the first thing we need to realize. This is for everyone. Um, and then we're supposed to pass it on generation to generation. So it's obviously a very important message that he has. Um, and I believe that he has a very important message for us today. Um, and it's something that we'll, uh, we'll get into. Verse 4, it says, What the co- cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So a lot of locusts. Jump down to verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day the Lord is near, and the destruction, uh, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before your eyes, joy and gladness from the house of God? What Joel is beginning to describe, he's beginning to describe a, describe a past day of judgment that these people have gone through. And what he's telling them is that it is their sinfulness and their wickedness that brought about this day of judgment. So during this time, God would send his judgment on his people through a natural disaster, uh, by the conquering of another kingdom, um, of, of something uh, like a locust swarm coming through, um, and, he, and it would bring destruction. Um, and there are some people today that uh, would say that you know, every time Albany gets a blizzard that God is judging Albany. I, that's not quite right. Um, there are always consequences for our sinfulness. Um, there's always uh, repercussions for when we mess up. And those consequences stand as a representation of what happened. They stand as a representation of where we messed up and where we did not honor God. Now, they don't always come uh, when we expect them. They don't always come uh, in, the, at the, in the same time or in the same way. But they do represent that. So two examples for today. Uh, coming from Oklahoma, we had a lot of tornadoes. Uh, I can remember there was always a group that would travel from uh, Kansas. Each time we would get a tornado, and they tell us that we need to repent because God's judgment is on us, and they, you know, pick it and have all these signs. It's crazy stuff. But the fact that we have tornadoes and blizzards, uh, natural disasters, things go wrong in this world, is because this world is broken, sinful, and messed up. Therefore, just because a tornado hits a town or a blizzard hits a town doesn't necessarily mean God is judging that specific group of people, but it is a good reminder that we are in a broken world and that we are a fallen people and that we are not perfect because the world used to be perfect. Uh, so that's, that's what that can represent. Another, another example, every time there's a car wreck, it doesn't necessarily mean someone's done something wrong. You can have two drivers who are following the rules, driving safely, and they can still get in a car wreck. It's just a part of this fallen world we live in. However, if you're drinking and you have too much to drink, then you get behind the wheel of a vehicle and you go and you have a car wreck, forever that car wreck will stand as a representation of your lack of self-control and the fact that you made a poor decision. Does that make sense? So those consequences represent um, our sinfulness and our brokenness. Now, Joel, he doesn't mention a particular sin in general uh, to, to these people. And what's interesting is that Joel actually quotes um, from the books of uh, Malachi, Zephaniah, Obadiah, um, Exodus, uh, Isaiah, a number of Old Testament scripture. He quotes from them. So I tend to think that Joel is well aware of the sinfulness of the people 
that they would be well aware of their own sinfulness, and that whoever the reader is is also aware of the sinfulness of Israel. So if you're not aware, here's, uh, in short, here's uh, the, the narrative of, of Israel in the Old Testament. So God delivers them, uh, they worship God, then they begin to sin, they start worshiping idols, judgment comes upon them, they call out to God, He delivers them, they worship Him, uh, they start to sin and worship idols, then they have judgment, then they call on God, then he delivers them, and it's over and over and over again. It's this back and forth between worshiping God and worshiping idols and following into their sinfulness. Back and forth, back and forth, and they, for a good long while, can't seem to get out of that rut. But in all reality, that's what you and I do. That's where we're at all the time. We experience God's goodness and his grace, and we get on fire for the Lord, and the next thing you know, we're back in our sinfulness again. We're, we're returning back to those things that we know we shouldn't be a part of. In verse uh, 19, really uh, 13 through 20, um, Joel is giving directions for repentance. He's giving them actual, this is how you repent, this is what you need to do now. And then in verse 19, Joel says, To you, O Lord, I call. And he's taking this so seriously that not only is he telling the people they need to repent for their sinfulness, but now he is going to repent himself because he knows even he is imperfect and a broken person. And that's, that's the narrative uh, of man that we are broken people, and we are full of sinfulness. Move on to uh, chapter 2. Chapter one, or, uh, verse 1 says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let my inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful people, like there has never, uh, like there, like has never been before, nor will be again. And them through the years of all the generations, fire devours them, and behind them a flame burns. A land is like a garden of Eden before them, but behind them desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Jump down to verse eleven. It says, "The Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great." Who, who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So in the first chapter, Joel is describing this locust swarm. Um, and I don't know if you're, you've uh, seen locust swarm. You should Google online a video of a locust swarm. It's wild uh, and gross. But um, there's a locust swarm that comes through and destroys the land. Uh, their food, uh, habitation, stuff like that. And then he's drawing this parallel that, okay, this happened and this stands to represent your past sinfulness. You need to repent of that because there's coming another day of judgment because you continue to be sinful. He said this time he's describing it as, as something that people will not survive. You're not going to survive this one. There's going to be a great army coming against you. This is, this is going to be bad. And so again... In verse 12, he's going to say, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your, rend your hearts, not your garments. He's telling them again that we need to repent. There's a line in there, verse 13, it says, Rend your hearts, not your garments. What he's saying is it needs to be an internal heart change. You need to repent of your sin and change within. This isn't an outer change. This isn't you need to change uh, your routine in the day or you need to change um, how often you're going to church or how often you're doing your Bible study or how often, you know, what, anything like that. 
He's saying, you need to change. Your heart needs to change. You need to experience life change like that. Sean, something he talks about frequently is uh, our life change story and how God changed us. That's what he's talking about. That's what Joel's talking about. He's talking about that life change story. He's talking about when you come to the realization that you are a broken sinner and you can only be delivered through the grace of God. So that's what he's talking about, not, not an external change. I can remember as a kid, um, I would get in trouble for something, and my mom uh, would tell me, uh, if you, or I was quick to say, I'm sorry. I would get in trouble, I'm sorry. And she would say, if you were sorry, you wouldn't have done it. And because I was a smart aleck as a kid, I would say, well, if I hadn't done it, I could have been sorry. That was my logic. What I didn't understand at the time was that my mom, my parents, wanted me to have a repentant heart. Because to repent means to be done with, to turn away from, not to return to. So if you're struggling with something in your life, you have a sinfulness that seems to creep back in, and you continue to go back to it, you're not repentant. Because if you were repentant, you wouldn't go back to it. And that's what Joel is trying to get, get, get his point across. Stop the idolatry. Stop your sinfulness. Repent of it and walk away. Be done. So ask yourself, is there something that I continually return to that I know is wrong, that I know is sinful? Because that's what Joel is centering in on today. And through, and through, this, uh, through this passage here, he's, he's describing that, the future day of judgment that will come. Because eventually all of us, we're going to be held accountable. Verse 13, the second half of verse 13 says, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. He's quoting from uh, Exodus 34, and uh, because Joel knows Scripture, he knows that God, the only thing that can compare to His justice and His wrath is His mercy and His love. And we can experience that. That's what he's telling you. That we can experience this. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful. This should also remind us that we should regularly be reading our our Bibles. um, Because Joel had the opportunity to rely on God's word. um, So he could move move forward and he could could encourage these people. You're sinful, but I know know what God's word says. And we know who God is uh, because of his word. Um, so if you're not in a daily routine of uh, reading your Bible, I, I recommend you do that. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, talk to someone today. We can get you a copy of God's Word. Um, everybody should have a copy of God's Word. Um, number four, we're going we're gonna to keep going. The Lord's going to have pity on His people. Then the Lord became jealous for His land and had pity on His people. The Lord answered him, I'm sorry, the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. Um, I started looking up the word jealous. Um, There's a song that we sing here, um, How He Loves, and the first line is, He is jealous for me. Um, and it kind of struck me anew as I was studying this and, and uh, working through this. Jealous, there's a couple different definitions. Um, and according to Google, because that's where we go now for definitions, is uh, no longer the dictionary. Uh, the third definition, according to Google, um, is fiercely protective or vigilant over one's rights 
or possessions. So the next time we sing that song, say to yourself, he is fiercely protective for me. Or he is vigilant for me. Um, so verse 20 says, I will remove the northerner far from you. He's going to remove the invaders. Uh, and drive him into the parched and desolate land, his, his uh, vanguard into the eastern sea, and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. So he's going to remove, uh, remove the invaders. He's going to save those people. Then verse 21 says, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. The Lord has done great things. So he's going to uh, save the land um, from his, his judgment. Verse, verse 22, it says, Fear not, you beasts of the field, for, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears fruit, and the fig tree and vine give their full yield. So he's going to save the people. He's going to drive out these armies. He's going to save the land and replenish it. He's going to save the animals, the vegetation. He's going to return goodness to that land. What a great promise that we get to rely on. And that's, that's what that's saying is that when God forgives, and when, he, when he steps in and he gives you his mercy, it's not just a little bit. He gives you all of it. He can redeem you, not just a little, but fully. That's what he's trying, trying to tell us here. And so he's drawn two parallels. A past day of judgment and a future day of judgment. And he's trying to explain, learn from the last time we went through this. That stands as a representation of how you messed up. The locusts came through and they destroyed everything. Repent. And if you don't, there's another day of judgment coming. In other words, our sinfulness uh, is not going to go unpaid for. Uh, God, God will punishment, punish us, uh, even today, for our sinfulness. Whether you've experienced it in the past... Uh, or whether you experience in the future, uh, eventually it's going to happen. Um, this is a lot like the parent-child relationship. Uh, I spoke about my parents earlier. Um, I can remember I was a fifth grader, and uh, <laughs> I was not a good student. Um, I, I struggled in school when I was real young. Um, later, I was diagnosed with a learning disability, um, but my parents didn't know it at the time. My teacher didn't know it at the time, and that's okay um, because I... I need to be punished for not, you know, doing what I, it was an excuse for not uh, taking care of what I needed to take care of. But in fifth grade, there were a number of assignments that I would not turn in, I would not do, or I would not complete, I would fail them, you know, just goofing off in class, doing a number of other things. And so it became a pattern in our house for Fridays, dad picked me up, uh, and it was not a fun day. Um, he would come to the classroom, and he'd sit down with my teacher, and they would go through all the assignments that I did not turn in, that I did not complete, that I failed, and my dad would gather them all up, and there was an equal and consistent punishment for each one of those assignments when I got home. Um, and there would be punishment, I'd get home, and then after the punishment, he would remind me that he loved me, he was proud of me, that he believed in me, and he knew that I could do great things if I would simply apply myself. And then he would sit down with me at the kitchen table, and for that evening, sometimes into the next day, we would work on every one of those assignments, and he'd guide me through all of them and make sure that I was getting them done. So then Monday morning, I'd come in with all the assignments. Uh, they didn't always count, 
but I still would have to hand them in. Here are all the assignments that I didn't complete last week. Uh, here you go. They're all completed now, and I've worked really hard on them. That is what God does with us. He will punish, punish us. He will correct us. And then he will remind us of his goodness and of his love, and he'll come alongside us, and he will guide us through life. So often it's through his word. So often it is through other believers who encourage us and build us up. But realize that although there is punishment for our sins, there is also a great goodness that comes. Because uh, it's always after um, the storm of judgment that God's peace and his mercy. It's just like it's been, been raining. Well, it looks very calm. So we're in the peace after the storm. It was lightning, storming today. Uh, and now it's calm. It's nice. Um, it looks like it may turn into a nice day. Um, that's just how God's goodness and his love works, is that he loves us enough to punish us and correct us, just like a parent corrects their child. Number five, the future day of the Lord. And I know I have a lot of points. I still have one after this. So uh, this, is, this is like double what Sean does, but I'm, I'm trying to move quickly uh, and get through this. So um, verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Verse 32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has, uh, the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So verse 28 um, is describing a future pouring out of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit on His people. Uh, earlier I said there's some... Three major differences, Old Testament, New Testament, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's one of them. This is um, looking forward to Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on the New Testament church. That's us. We get to be indwelled in the Holy Spirit when we come to know who Jesus is in a real and a personal way. Back in this day, uh, it was only a select group of people, and it was only for a select amount of time that they would really get to experience uh, the Holy Spirit. And that would be for kings, priests. Um, prophets, um, and so God would bestow his spirit upon them for a period of time, usually to deliver his word or to deliver, to deliver his judgment or something like that, um, and then, and then uh, the spirit would not be indwelled on them the same way anymore, and they, they, would, they would move on, but now we have the great benefit of being indwelled with the Holy Spirit um, all the time, as long as we know who Jesus is. Um, Acts 2, uh, 16, 17, um, it says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. One thing I love about this is that it goes to prove the, the authenticity of God's word. Because these two books were written hundreds of years apart from one another. Joel never knew these guys. These guys never knew Joel. They were, Joel was dead and gone long before uh, the apostles came around. Yet they could rely on his word that he delivered from God that the Spirit would be poured out on them. Is that not amazing? We've just finished a series in Daniel, and there's a lot of it that was talking about end times and things that would go on. We can rely and know that those things are going to happen because the Bible proves itself right time and time again. I can't even tell you the number of stories that I've read about uh, historians and archaeologists who have gone to disprove the Bible and either give up or get saved, one or the other, because they, they cannot disprove the Bible. And it continually proves itself worthy to be trusted and worthy to be read 
and life-changing over and over and over again. And that's why I say, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, don't leave today without one, because we will give you a copy of God's Word. It is absolutely the most incredible book you will ever come across. So then in... Um, find my spot, sorry. Got off on that. Uh, verse, uh, we'll go to chapter 3 now. Verse 1. It says, Behold, in those days and at that time, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is Yahweh judges, is what that means. Verse 5. For you have taken my silver and gold and carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place in which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. Verse 14 says, Multitudes, multitudes in the, in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near, the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. The, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. What's happening is he's speaking of the last days when we are all going to be judged. This entire book has been talking about being a repentant people. You have sinfulness in your life that you're not repenting of, it's going to be judged. And whether it's something you've experienced in the past, you have your locust storm that you've gone through, whether it's something that's coming and you're going to experience something else in this life, it may happen then. But if, even if those don't happen, you will answer for them someday. Because you and I, all of us, will stand before God and we, and we will be judged for our sinfulness. But the Lord, uh, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge for his people. Although he brings judgment for those who are found in him, we, he is our refuge, and we are safe in him, and we can find hope and forgiveness in him. Number six, this is my last point. It's a message of salvation, a message of repentance, which is a message of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. And our responsibility is to repent of our sins and give, and give to the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I said early that uh, the Old Testament is constantly looking forward to the New Testament, to, to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. That's exactly what he's talking about. We get to look back on what Jesus did for us. So today I want to ask you a question. Have, have you ever repented before in your life? Do you know who Jesus is? Because it is absolutely the most important thing you need to work out in your life. Ever. Going to college, that's great. Your decision about school is not nearly as important about what you're going to decide about Jesus. What job to take, that's important, but not nearly as important as Jesus. Whether you're going to move or not move or go do something or not do something or participate or, or whatever, those decisions are important, but not nearly as, as important as your relationship with Jesus. So I ask you, don't leave this place today 
without getting it figured out. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. And as they get ready, I just I want you to take a moment and just really examine your own heart and just truly think through. Have I repented of my sin? Do I know who Jesus is? We don't do this often here, but I want to open up uh, this stage. It's just an opportunity, a place for you to come and bow and get right with God. I want you to sit, sit in your seat if you feel led to, to get right with God. If you want to stand, if you want to sing, that's great too. Whatever the Lord is stirring you to do this morning, do that. Let's, have an, let's just take an opportunity now to listen to God and to really self-examine our own hearts. Are you repented this morning? Maybe you have uh, built up sinfulness, something you return to over and over and over again. Maybe you have an addiction that you return to over and over and over again. Repent of those things this morning and turn away from those things this morning. Like Joel gives us instruction to, let's, let's turn away from those and be done with that sinfulness. Romans tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is true today and yesterday and tomorrow. Let's, let's take time and, and let's, let's just pray and get, get right with the Lord. I'm going to pray and the band's going to play. Um, and you, you just have time with the Lord this morning. Lord, you are so good. You're good to us and you give us a great love that we don't deserve. And we find that love and that hope in your son Jesus who gave his life for us, who died on a cross for our sins. God, I just pray for those in this room who don't know you in a personal way. Lord, I pray they would know you. Because this is absolutely the greatest thing that can ever happen. It's the greatest redemption that you can ever have. And God, I pray for those who are falling back into that idolatry or back into that sinfulness, Lord. I pray that they would repent and find freedom from that. Because you are our only hope in that. Lord, we call on you because we need you. And you're the only one that can deliver us from our sinfulness. Lord, we love you. It's to your glory and your honor and your praise. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.